tonight we're going to conclude the study, How God Makes Men, and we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. What an appropriate way to end, I think, the study. When we think of um, men who have done things for God or who would be men that we would say, man, that's someone that I would like to look at their life and see, how can I grow? How can I learn from them? Paul's one of those guys. Um, And so let me ask you as we get started, what comes to mind when you think of the Apostle Paul? This is an opportunity for you to to respond to me. So what, what comes to your mind when you think of the Apostle Paul? Succinctly, what comes to your mind? Christ-like, okay. Changed, okay. Yes. Stephen. Focused. Unwavering. Sold out. Engineer, okay. Teacher. Student. Grounded. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are all very good words, encouraging words, um, strong words, um, words that we did not hear. Murderer, hater of God, persecutor of the church. We didn't hear those words. What, why? Okay, we didn't ask about Saul, okay, which... <clears throat> Just as a side note, Saul and Paul, it's the same name. One is the Hebrew name, one is the Greek. I mean, it's not that his name was changed. But um, yes, good point. We didn't, we didn't ask about Saul as he's referred to when he was persecuting the church. What else? Why else don't we think about those words? He's been redeemed. He's been forgiven. He's been changed, right? And so when we think of the Apostle Paul and think of what, what we remember about the Apostle Paul, and we think about Paul the Apostle, when we think about Saul, you think about who God has made him to be. What he did, the impact that was made, and the lasting impact that was made. And here's what's very interesting when we think about the Apostle Paul, and we think about his life, and we think about his ministry, and we think about how we think of him and remember him, is that we remember him most for the transformed life that he had in Jesus Christ. That's what we remember him most for, and and I want to... I want to bring us to a point of understanding tonight, guys, because I'm going to make just a few points tonight that I think we have to process and we have to remember. And, and here's the thing I want us to, like, overarching thing I want us to remember as we end this study on how God makes men. Never forget the man that God has transformed you to be. Because sometimes it's very easy to constantly go back to who we were and lose sight of who we are in Christ. And so let's be men who honor God, pursuing Christ-likeness in light of who God has transformed us to be uh, and, and remember that as we move forward. So tonight when we look at the Apostle Paul, we're going to look at the principle of a surrendered life, a surrendered life. And really, we could have said a transformed life. We could have said a completely different life, but it's a surrendered life. And that's really what marked Paul's life as he followed Christ. Patrick Morley, the author of the book that we've kind of based the study on, says, God makes men by forging us into humble servants who are increasingly surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. God makes men by forging us into humble servants who are increasingly surrendered to the lordship of 
Jesus. I wonder, is that a true statement for your life today? Is that uh, uh, really a statement that we are pursuing to be true in our lives? That we are men, humble servants as men, who are increasingly surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that true of our lives? Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul made something abundantly clear to those that he was ministering to, those that he was leading, those that he was wanting to impact with the gospel. He said, listen, I, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life that I'm now living in this body, I'm only living it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't it amazing? Paul would emphasize the reality that he is giving his life for Christ, but that is only possible because Christ first has given his life for him. And that's the same for you and I. Uh, We are laying down our lives for Jesus Christ in response to the reality that he first laid down his life for us, and now we want to be used for his glory. So let me just point out a few points tonight about Paul and how that relates to our lives. One, Paul was radically and dramatically saved by Christ. We've already talked about that briefly, but Paul was radically and dramatically saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never read about Paul's conversion, you're, you're going to enjoy this. Acts chapter 26, and if you have read it, you should enjoy it too, because it speaks about what happened in Paul's life. But in Acts chapter 26, verses 11 through 18, we read where Paul tells of his conversion. And if you start in verse 11, even though the chapter or the heading division probably starts in verse 12, look at verse 11, he says, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He's speaking about opposing the name of Jesus Christ. Opposing the name of Christ and followers of Christ. I don't know if you knew that about Paul. Maybe you didn't know that about Paul. The Apostle Paul, Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of the name of Jesus Christ. He says, I opposed the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is who Paul was. He says, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. To foreign cities. He had raging Fury against them, he said. Paul hated the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he hated those that were preaching Christ. Verse 12, he talks about how everything changed in his life. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven... Brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You want to talk about a wake up moment. Who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I mean, this, this, is, this is really something. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul speaks of this radical transformation, this radical and dramatic salvation that he experienced through the Lord Jesus Christ. Radically, dramatically saved by Jesus. And Jesus is going to appear to him and ask him these questions, and he's going to commission Paul and send Paul. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this was a radical transformation, dramatic transformation. And I believe that's part of the reason why initially when I asked the question, hey, what comes to mind when you think of the Apostle Paul? What comes to mind when you think of Paul, Saul, whoever? What comes to your mind? No one says murderer. No one says persecutor of the church. Why? Because we know what Jesus did in the life of Paul. He was no longer who he once was. He was transformed radically, dramatically through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the one that was the just the hugest enemy of Jesus Christ, the one that wanted to just absolutely destroy the name of Christ and wanted to just annihilate anyone that would serve Christ, would become the one that would be the foremost proclaimer of Christ and the one that would want to make the name of Jesus great, the one that would love, care, minister to, impart his very life to those that would follow Jesus. It's what God does in someone's life that he transforms them. He opened Paul's eyes to who Jesus is. He was transformed. His life was dramatically changed. And we can look at that and we can be like, hey, man, way to go, Paul. This is great. We can get very excited about that. But I want us to understand something I think is so valuable and important. Paul was radically, radically and dramatically saved by Christ. But here's what I want us not to miss tonight, guys. As, as men who know Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm going to say something I think is very important for us to get. Your salvation and my salvation are just as radical, powerful, and life-changing as the Apostle Paul's. Look at that statement. Your salvation and my salvation are just as radical, powerful, and life-changing as the Apostle Paul's. Look at what Jesus says to Paul in verses 18 to the end of it where it's in red of Jesus' words here. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 26. He says, I'm sending you, Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you realize, guys, that that statement is true of every single one of us that know Christ as Savior? Do we realize tonight the radical transformation that takes place when in Jesus Christ, as Jesus said here, we who had our eyes darkened have our eyes opened. We who were in utter darkness, in complete darkness, have now turned to light and are light in Christ. We who were under the power of Satan are now under the power of God. We who were condemned in our sin are now forgiven of our sins. That is radical and powerful transformation. 
And so you might not have thought of yourself as a murderer, or you might not have thought of yourself as an enemy of God or a persecutor of the church. You maybe never thought of yourself as the chief of sinners as Paul did. But the reality is, if you and I were dead in our sin, dead's dead, guys. Dead is dead. I would never advise this, but if we lined five corpses up in this room and one had just just died, one was a couple days, one was a couple weeks, one was a month or so, we probably wouldn't go anywhere near, but if we looked at all these, you might see different levels of decomposition happening, different colors that are there in the skin. You might be able to determine who's been dead for a long time and who just recently has passed, but all would be equally dead. And as those that were enemies of God, we were all equally enemies of God. As those that were dead in our sin, we were all equally dead in our sin. As those that loved and walked in darkness, we loved and walked in darkness. The transformation that takes place in the life of every single person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is radical, powerful, and life-changing. That's what Jesus does. Guys, so when we live our lives, we should be living in view of what Christ has done. That's why you see the apostles, when they would rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. How could anybody rejoice in that? Because they understood, they recognized, they put it at the forefront of their hearts and minds what Christ has done first in them. And Paul would recognize that. He would see that, that his life was changed. Do we stand in awe of the life change that is ours in Jesus Christ, or are we quick to forget that? Are we quick to forget that? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, Paul's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Are you thankful today to know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Because can't we rightly say, yeah, I'm chief, I'm foremost. We know how we think. We know who we are. We know the thoughts and intents of our hearts and minds so often, even as followers of Christ, let alone before we knew Christ. And he says, I thank my God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was not only radically and dramatically and powerfully transformed by Christ, but Paul was appointed by Christ to his service. Jesus said this to Paul back in Acts chapter 26 that we've read. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise, stand up on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness. Jesus made something abundantly clear to Paul. You ever ever wondered, like, I wonder what God wants me to do in this situation. Have you ever prayed and be like, Lord, if you could just tell me what you want me to do, that would be great. Paul could never, in his testimony, say, yeah, I don't know what Jesus wanted me to do. I don't know why he did this. Jesus said, listen, I am appointing you and sending you. 
Some of us could sit here and be like, man, that would be awesome if, if Jesus would do that for me. You know, he has done that. We have his word. We have the truth of the word of God. And so none of us have to sit there and be like, man, I, I wonder what God wants from me. He's told us what he wants from us. We don't have to wonder, well, does Jesus really want me to serve him? Does he, does he really want me to be like him? Does he really want me to keep my life to him? What does he really want? I wish he would be clear. He's told us what he wants from us. It was clear to Paul. He was appointed by Christ to his service. And, and can I just tell you tonight, guys, a second point for you and I to understand is just as Paul was radically, dramatically, powerfully transformed by Christ, so too are we. And just as Paul was appointed by Christ to his service, you and I have equally been appointed by Christ to his service. We've been appointed to service unto God. We've been appointed to service to our master. Now I understand that does not mean every single person in this room is appointed to full-time vocational ministry service as a pastor or teacher. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you are a follower of Jesus, your master has called you to serve him. And if Jesus Christ is your master, you've been called to serve him. So let me ask, how are you serving him faithfully each day? Paul couldn't get away from it. He couldn't get away from it. He didn't want to get away from it. He loved serving his Savior. And he served him in light of what Christ had done for him. You and I equally have been appointed by Christ to his service. I, I want to read his passage. I, one of my favorite portions in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you know those verses, verses 1 through 10. I love those verses because in those verses it speaks about the transformation that takes place as the work of God. It's the work of God in our lives. Paul's writing to the believer here. He says, as you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Who was dead? By show of hands, if you were dead in your trespasses and sins, put your hands up for me. Um, all of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Who amongst us followed the course of this world? The prince of the power of the air. Again, all of us, every one of us, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Who amongst us lived according to the passions of our flesh? All of us. You see the word choice that Paul uses here? All of us. All of us. This is true of every one of us. We were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, who amongst us has been loved by God? All of us made us alive together with Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have been made alive. Again, don't miss the transition in this passage. We were dead. We followed the course of the world. We fulfilled the lusts of our flesh. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We were enemies of God. We were children of wrath. And then God intervened in us. 
And he took what was dead and made it alive. He took what was the object of his wrath and now made us his children and recipients of his grace and his love and his mercy. This is what God has done. It says that he made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Look at verse 7. So that. Why did he do these things? Guys, listen to this. When Paul was transformed by Jesus, radically, dramatically, powerfully transformed by Jesus, Jesus is talking to him. And he says, this is why I'm doing this, Paul. Here's why. I'm appointing you to serve me. I'm appointing you to go and tell about me. Here's why, Paul. You're going to be my servant. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says right here, so that he's made you alive. He's secured your eternity. He's shown you his love. You're a recipient of his grace. Why? Why, God? Why would you love us? Why would you transform us? Why would you make us alive? Why would you do all of these things so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? Think of that promise God wants to show forth the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, here's why, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared in advance or beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what Paul says in this passage? You have been appointed by God as a child of God for his service, for good works. You're his workmanship, and you have been appointed by him to show forth that to a watching world, to everyone that would see us, that's what God has called us to. And guys, listen, we have no problem saying about the Apostle Paul's life. He was dramatically, radically, powerfully transformed by Jesus. But what about us? Can we say today, man, i got to be honest, look at my life. I have been dramatically, powerfully transformed by Jesus Christ. I've been made alive, and we have no problem saying of the Apostle Paul, surely he was appointed for service to the Lord. But guys, what about our lives? We have been appointed by God for his service, to make much of his name. We're recipients of his grace, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved for ourselves, but for him. And sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that you and I, as children of God, are God's workmanship. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are precious in God's sight, and we're to be used for his glory. Guys, don't miss how radically, powerfully, dramatically you've been changed in Christ. Don't miss what God has called you to as his workmanship. There is value in that. And sometimes we can be really quick to just cast that aside. Sometimes we can look at the Apostle Paul's life and say, like, man, Paul was a murderer of Christians. He persecuted the name of Jesus. He hated Jesus. 
No one wanted to be around that guy. He was awful. And then God radically transformed him. So look at what his life looked like. Surely there's value in that because this is what God has done. But do we realize how often we lose sight of we can say the same of us? We are the product of the workmanship of God. My daughter, when she was younger, one of my daughters, years and years ago, made this for me in class. I don't even know what you would call this. It's a piece of pottery, okay? And she brought it home from school. And she's like, Daddy, I made you something. And I said, okay, honey. And she handed it to me. And I was like, oh, it's great. I had no idea what this was. And so I was like, well, show me how you use it. You know, and, and it's supposed to be a pen or pencil holder. So you, you lay it like this. And you put a pen or a pencil in it. doesn't really fit well. Um, but I don't, I have no idea. I mean, initially I'm like, wow, it's a gnome hat. Like you, you could look at that and you could think all kinds of things. You know, an ice cream cone holder or whatever. But it's for pens or pencils. It's for pens or pencils. And so I have this in my office on my one side table that's there. And sometimes there's pens and pencils in it. Sometimes there's not because my kids mess around there all the time. But it's there and it's on display. And if someone comes in and looks at this, they will not think very highly of this piece of pottery. Uh, I, I'm not worried about anybody stealing it, okay? Um, when I lock my door in my office, I'm not worried. Like, wow, they're going to take the pottery. I, no one's taking this because it doesn't have value or meaning to them. They don't know who it is that made this and the value it would have to me. But here's what's very interesting about this, guys. On the inside of this, it says, to dad, love Ella, on the inside of it. It's written, it's written right on that creation, who it's from and who it belongs to and the value that comes with that. Do you realize how valuable you are in the sight of God as his child and that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do. That is not something to just cast aside. That is not something to throw out. That has value, that has meaning, that has worth. It's written all over you as a child of God that you belong to him and you're to be about, I'm to be about his service. Number three, Paul surrendered his life to be used by and for Christ Jesus, his Lord. He surrendered his life to be used by and for Christ Jesus, his Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, 7 to 14, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remember back to Acts chapter 26 that we began with this evening. Paul, I am 
I am saving you. I'm revealing myself to you. I'm transforming you. I'm changing you because I'm appointing you to my service so that you will go and tell and share so that the Gentiles who are in darkness, who are lost, who are blind, who are my enemies, that they might be saved. And you're going to serve me. Fast forward now all the way to Philippians chapter 3 as Paul is writing from a prison cell, persecuted for his faith in Jesus Christ, writing from a prison cell. And he says, I count everything in my life as worth nothing at all in comparison with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Talk about fulfilling the mission and calling that God has appointed to him. Paul surrendered his life to be used by and for Christ Jesus, his Lord. Can I encourage you guys tonight? You and I have been called by God to surrender our lives to be used by and for Christ Jesus, our Lord. You and I, we are not our own any longer. We've been bought with the price of Christ. We belong to him. And just as Paul surrendered, you and I have been called by God to surrender our lives, to be used by and for Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Matthew 10, 34 to 39, Jesus said, Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. I think, man, why would Jesus say that? I thought Jesus was like bringing peace and goodwill to men, right? That's the song. He says, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus says, listen, uh, there's going to be a lot of, of hardship for those that follow me and love me. There's going to be a lot of hardship for those that profess uh, that they know me, a Savior that follow me and truly serve me and love me. They'll be hated by the world. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is crystal clear teaching from Christ, that if we say we love, know, and follow him, we must be willing to surrender our very lives to him. And I wonder, are we willing to surrender to him in every area of our lives? So Paul did. He set that tone, he set that example of a surrendered life. Paul was able to do that because he was very clear about the commissioning and service that God called him to, that Christ specifically called him to. And he knew that to be true because his life was dramatically changed. Guys, listen, if your life has been changed by Jesus you know that you were dead and now you're alive, that you were God's enemy and now you're his friend, that you were one who was of the father of, the, of lies, the devil, but now you're a child of God. If you know that Christ has done that in your life, you know you've been radically, dramatically, powerfully transformed. You also know he has called you to serve him. Are we truly surrendering to Christ? Are we surrendering to him? I wanted to read to you just a number of verses as, as we wrap things up here that Patrick Morley points out in this book, I think is great, and he speaks about the Apostle Paul's passion for Jesus Christ. Just think of some of these verses. Remember the context, Acts chapter 26. Paul, I'm calling you, I'm commissioning you, you're my servant, you're going to be used for me, you're going to surrender to me, I have great plans for you to serve me. It's not going to be easy, it's going to be hard. But Paul would surrender his life to Jesus. Think of these words that Paul the Apostle wrote that talk about his surrender and his commitment. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's in 2 Corinthians. Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Philippians 3, whatever was my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 1 Corinthians 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 9, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. 1 Corinthians 9.16, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You can go on and on and on in the letters of Paul in instruction of Paul of how Jesus Christ was his everything and he served Jesus with that mentality. What about for you and I? Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, take last place and be the servant of everyone else. John 12, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Luke chapter 14, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 33, you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. God wants us in his service, guys. He's called us to that. He's saved us for that very reason. Are we surrendering truly to him? In a minute, you're going to discuss some questions at your tables. I'll give you about 15 minutes to do that. But I want to close with this quote from Patrick Morley, and I think this is such an excellent quote. He says, there is a God that we want, and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. The turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. There is a lot of prevalent teaching today that says that God wants you to do whatever you want to do, and you're just okay doing it. That is not what the scriptures teach. The word of God teaches that if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the God that has saved you. Might we surrender to the true living God, serving him, glorifying him, in light of all that he has already done in and will do through us. Take about 15 minutes to discuss those questions at your tables and then I'll wrap us up here in about 15 minutes. I gave you the full 15 minutes. I was keeping track. and Because uh, I always say I'll give you 15 minutes and then it's like 10. So I gave you the full 15. As we wrap up the series, I think these are very relevant questions. And let me just challenge you um, again with these, those three points about being radically transformed by Christ. Uh, that is true of every single one of us. You've been called by God to serve him. And, uh, and, and to serve him and to surrender, right? And so as you look at these questions here, which of the following best describes you? Can I just throw something out there? Can you imagine how much different our, our church, our community, our marriages, our families would be if we were filling this room with men that were joyful, living, surrendered lives to the glory of God? Um, that would not be able to be ignored. You, you wouldn't be able to miss that. Uh, men who are joyful, living surrendered lives for the glory of God. Um, Wow, that would be an incredible thing. Um, If you've lost that zeal or lost that passion, uh, aren't you glad that God is gracious and forgiving and that he is a God that restores? Um, If you've not yet committed your life to Christ as Savior, before you leave tonight, I'm going to be in the back lobby. Uh, Maybe a couple other men will join me back there if you're here and you can do that, guys, that have been joining me. If you need to know Christ as your Savior, would love to share with you how you can have a relationship with Christ tonight. Um, if you've never committed your life to serving him, you know him,
but you've never really thought about, man, I, I really want to serve him. Come back in the back and we'll pray with you, encourage you uh, in, in your commitment to serve the Lord if you know him as your Savior. Number two here, what would you say is your genuine desire, or do you say it's your genuine desire to submit to the authority of Christ on a daily basis? How are you demonstrating this desire? How can it be seen? I asked the group that I was with, is it truly genuine desire to submit to the authority of Christ if we're not submitting to the authority of Christ? I think a lot of times we'd be like, oh man, that is my desire, but it's not happening. Well, is it really our genuine desire then if it's not happening? Um, When I'm genuinely hungry, I'm going to eat. When I'm genuinely thirsty, I'm going to get a drink. When I'm genuinely tired, I'm going to try to get sleep. If it's my genuine desire to serve the Lord, to submit to the authority of Christ, shouldn't it be demonstrated? And shouldn't it be seen? Number three, as a servant of Christ, what is it that you know your master wants from you? Are you willing to obey what's holding you back? I don't know what that might be, but maybe God's impressed on your heart something that he's, he's been prompting. He wants you to serve him in this way, this capacity. And you're like, ah, I got a lot going on. What is it that he wants you to do in service to him? Uh, will you submit to that? Uh, so I hope you're encouraged tonight. Don't lose sight of the transforming work that's taken place in your life as a follower of Jesus. Don't miss the fact that God very clearly has called you to serve him as his master. And don't miss the reality of the surrender that is required as servants of Christ, that we would surrender to him, be joyful in him. And that is something that the world will not be able to ignore. That is how God makes men that are used for his service. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these great examples of men throughout the scriptures that you used in your service, Lord. Um, What an incredible thought that you've transformed our lives. You've made us your own. And in doing that, you've called us to serve you and you've asked us to surrender our lives to you. Lord, I pray that every man in this room would be a man that is joyfully surrendering to you. And that as a result of that, people would ask about the hope that lies within us and we as your servants would be ready to give an answer at all times. We love you, and again, thank you for your love for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.